Well, good morning. Let me move these over and just building on Eric saying what a partnership East Glenville has with the mission. I want to thank you all for that. It's it's many years. It has been fruitful by God's grace. And please know I I, I bring you greetings from the mission with a grateful heart for, for all you the way you are serving the Lord. You know, this is a little bit of a forgotten Sunday, isn't it? The Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. But I think it's actually just the opposite. This is really a crossroads Sunday. This is one of the most important Sundays of the year because this is the Sunday we make a decision. We've just come off the high of Christmas, right? Eric was praying about the Christmas Eve service. This Sunday we decide whether that's going to be as high as we get and now we start descending back into the routine of the New year, or we build off the momentum of Christmas, trusting that a new year God is expecting us to do even more. We get to make a decision today as to whether Christmas was a ledge for us or a launching pad. If it's a ledge, it means it's as high as we're going to get, and then we kind of go down from there. But if it's a launching pad, we're saying it represents just the beginning of what God wants to do in our lives as individuals, followers of Christ, and in the life of this church. So with that challenge... Let's read from the scriptures. And I'm going to read Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said to the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. We thank you for your precious word. And I pray, Lord, as we read it, as we study it, as we share it, it would truly come into our hearts and transform us. That we would be people not only faithful to listen, but to live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So two quick stories of of discipleship. One took place earlier this month. Um, Some of you may know City Mission, we have a program called the Downtown Ambassadors where our graduates work around proctors and they provide hospitality services for the downtown community. And so I try to go out once a month and um, be an ambassador, put the red coat on, and I have a track record that if I pick a night, it's going to be one of the worst nights of the year. And sure enough, for this night, it held true. This was Melodies of Christmas opening night, and I think the wind chill was zero. So it was a Bitter cold night. Now, the, the guys running the ambassadors know I'm pretty fragile, so they give me the easiest assignment, which is the front door of Proctor's on State Street. If you know that entrance, it's in its own alcove, so I'm not out there in the wind. Now, out on the street were the real ambassadors, and, and their job was to greet as cars came up, elderly people coming to the show, they have trouble getting out of their car. So we put one of our main ambassadors, his name is Anthony, and Anthony's job was to stand out there in the freezing, windy, bitter cold and help elderly people get out of their car and get them into the theater. And I was really feeling bad for him. And all of a sudden, coming in front of Proctor's is a bus from Kingsway. 
a bus from Kingsway. And I go, hey, Anthony, it's a whole bus. And he goes, it don't get no better than this. And he ran over to that door and he took every person down and he escorted them up. And I watched the joy and I said, right crossroads, he could have complained, he could have grumbled. But no, I'm here to help people. So if a bus comes, it don't get no better than this. On a very different story, a couple weeks prior to that, I've had the enormous privilege for 30 years to become close friends with Ken Heckler. And um, I had the great privilege of visiting him in the last hours of his life. And so my wife Carol and I went and uh, stood by his bedside. And he was able to talk at that point. I think he had died within two days of this visit. But you could see he was really in his last hours. And, but we were able to converse. And at the end, as, as I was leaving, I turned to leave. We had said our goodbyes. I, I heard something. I heard a voice. And... I looked back and it was Ken and, and I leaned in closer and Ken was praying for us. He was issuing a pastor's prayer. In his last hours, his thought at that moment was to pronounce a benediction on us. And I'll never forget that moment. I, I say it's the greatest sermon I've ever heard. Now, those two stories, Anthony and Ken, very different men. Ken was highly educated, doctorate, successful in business. Anthony really kind of came to the mission to learn how to read. Ken's light was pretty much from, from, his life was from light to light, from success to success. Anthony's was more darkness that God brought light into at a latter point in his life. Of course, Ken bore his share of hardships. But what they have in common for all their differences, they both understand the essence of discipleship and the essence of following Jesus. And it is not that following Jesus means he gives us favorable circumstances by which we bear fruit. But following Jesus means whatever the circumstances are, I am ready to serve. I am ready to faithful, I will follow him, whatever the circumstances, and trust that in that obedience, he will bring fruit to what I do. And that's the, the essence of, of discipleship, right? Because discipleship is not about what we wish would happen. It is entirely about reality. And sometimes in our lives, circumstances are advantageous and sometimes they are adverse. If we look at the Christmas story that we just finished, you watch Mary and Joseph go on this roller coaster of circumstances, right? First there is Mary. She is told by Gabriel that God given her favor, that she has been chosen by God to, to bear, to bear the Messiah, to be the mother of, of God. Right? There is this high point. She then hears that Elizabeth is with child. She, she goes into the Gian hillside. And when she meets Elizabeth, Elizabeth pronounces upon her, Blessed are you amongst women. And how am I worthy that the mother of my Lord should come? And she says, When, when I heard your voice, the, my child within me began to kick. Right? Mary is affirmed. And she spends three months with Elizabeth. She is riding high. But when she comes back to Nazareth, now she is showing her pregnancy. And now she goes from pinnacle to scandal. And we're told that Joseph is heartbroken and he chooses to divorce her quietly. And Joseph and they are brought to the bottom of this relationship. But then an angel comes to Joseph and tells him, no, no, this is, this is of God. 
Mary, this child is from God. Marry her and, and, and be father and husband. And so it's time for the birth. And now it goes back down because they have to leave Nazareth and go all the way to Bethlehem. And when they get there, there's no place to stay. And he has to give birth in, in a manger, in a, in a feeding trough with animals and in utter poverty and destitution. And yet... Suddenly, these shepherds appear and they tell them that we saw an angel. And these angels told us that this is, this is the Savior. And, and they are brought back up. And then 40 days later at the purification, Simeon at the temple comes to Mary and sees the child and says, this, this is the chosen one. This is the chosen one that we've been waiting for. But then he says to Mary, a sword your own heart shall pierce and Right, And then the Magi come and visit and they're lifted back up and they're riding high again. But then immediately after that, we find that Herod, the angel says, you got to leave, you got to go to another country because Herod wants to kill the child. Right? Put yourself in this situation. Don't view it from 2,000 years in the, in the rear view. They have to flee to a foreign country and they get the word back that Herod has slaughtered the babies of Bethlehem. Right? And now they're, they are away again, right? It is this up and down and up and down. And Matthew then takes us through the genealogy of Jesus. And that's another roller coaster. We see names from the spiritual hall of fame. Names like Abraham and Isaac. But then there are names from the hall of shame. Right? You said direct line, there's, there's Perez who was born of Judah and Tamar. Now Judah and Tamar is a relationship that took place in Genesis 38. It is so sordid that I don't feel comfortable talking about it up here. That's how graphically sordid it is. And yet that's the direct link to, to Jesus. And we find David and Bathsheba, Solomon, is a direct link. So even in that, there is this up and down, up and down, right? But isn't that our lives as well? It is up and down. It is high and low. It is advantage and adversity. This is the nature of pilgrimage. This is the atmosphere in which we are called to follow Jesus and to be fruitful in our following. And if I've learned a lesson in 30 years at City Mission, it is hang on. Because it's going to be up and down. Not once in a while, but every single day. This fall, one of our stellar graduates died from an accidental overdose. And it was crushing. So much light, so much life that had returned to see it just snuffed out by a mistake. And, and to grieve with the family. And yet at the same time, the family was rejoicing because they got to see him in the light. And his daughters pointed to the fact that there was greatness in their father. And they saw it. And I was asked to speak at the funeral. And the first words I said at City Mission, joy and sorrow coexist. It's not one or the other. It's both. So if I come home and my wife asks me, was it a good or a bad day? I say, yes. Yes, it was. It was good and bad. I laughed and I cried every day. But Christ is present in both. He's present in all. And he says to each one of us, be faithful, be fruitful, follow me. It's what gives us courage to go to places of pain. 
that actually in the, in the kingdom of God, the gravity in the kingdom of God bends to suffering. See, we are a different people. Our human instincts are repelled by suffering and, and our protective instincts pull back from it because we want to protect ourselves. And yet, if we enter the gravity of the kingdom of God, it draws us into suffering, not to give us burdens, but to, to bless us because Christ is present in that. Right? We, there's schools in Schenectady where there is so much trauma, it's hard to imagine. Right? In Martin Luther King's school, they have one room called the trauma room. This is an elementary school. Because sometimes the kids show up, they are so gone. They need to sit in a quiet room before they can even go into a classroom. But you know God is present there. So we started this clothing room because that was the need. And actually Kelly DeLeonardo runs this clothing room. We have these volunteers and volunteers write us these stories about how beautiful the kids are and these two children came in, one little girl who was special needs. So even in the, the trauma of Martin Luther King, she's special needs within that. So they brought her into the clothing room. And here's what the volunteer writes. She was so excited. She got all teary-eyed and said, I'm so happy to be here, I could cry. And she picked out pieces of clothing and was ecstatic when she left. And so if you want the have the privilege of having a little girl say she's so happy she could cry. We have to be willing to go to places of adversity. Psalm 112, verse 7, says that the righteous man, the righteous woman, will have no fear of bad news. Now, this doesn't mean that the righteous man or woman does not receive bad news. Absolutely not. The righteous man or woman gets as much bad news as anybody else. What it does mean is he or she is not afraid of it. They don't live in fear of it. Because it says, because his heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. And our distinctiveness is not that we are spared difficulty, but that our lives are grounded in the indestructible. So that whatever our circumstances, we can trust that God is sovereign in the midst of it. Right? So even when something as horrible happens to Joseph and Mary, that the, the local king is going to slaughter the children, Matthew then tells us that by going to Egypt, it fulfilled what the prophet said. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. That God even uses the horrific to accomplish and to fulfill his purposes. So there's much about 2020 that we will have no control over. And that can either arouse fear or anxiety and cause us to be timid in our actions. But there's a greater reality than what's ahead of us. And that is that we are able to choose who we will be in the new year. And friends, I believe that we face fundamentally two choices. We get to decide as we enter this new year whether we are going to live the ego drama or the theodrama. The ego drama I'm an expert in. The ego drama says, this is my life. I am the director the author, the producer, and of course the star. And God be with me in my drama. The theodrama says this is God's world. 
God is the director. God is the producer. God is the writer. God is the star. And I have been given the inestimable privilege of playing a part. And I pledge to pay it, play it with everything in me. To play it robustly and gratefully and with vitality. Mary was the epitome of the theodrama. When the angel asked her permission to bear the child, what were her famous words? I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to thy word. What is Mary saying? It is his play. It is his drama. I'll play it. That's what he wants. Paul understood the theodrama. It's why he could write in Philippians, For I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. So what Paul is saying is, I have no fear of the future. That doesn't mean I'm not going to be imprisoned. It doesn't mean I'm not going to be shipwrecked. It does not mean I'm not going to be persecuted. It does not mean I'm not going to be beheaded. In fact, All those things are going to happen, yet I have no fear because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because God is sovereign, it is His drama, and if I am faithful, I will bear fruit for His kingdom. What an opportunity to choose that. So I want to give you three quick characteristics of someone who is living the theodrama as opposed to the ego drama. The first characteristic is being available. Availability. This, this word is my word. Every year I try to pick a word for the new year. This, this year, there's no question, it's available. Right? Being really, really available for God. Am I, am I willing to give God a blank page? Say, you write on it, Father. You write on it. I trust you. Or if I can't quite do a blank page, at least a to-do list with a lot of gaps in between the the items, right? For God to work in. Right? Available. When, when availability enters our core and defies who we are, we realize that every encounter is sacred. We realize that there are no ordinary moments in life. They are all inherently sacred. And I am, and I am ready. I am not simply doing my own thing. I don't have blinders on. I just don't have my nose to the grindstone fulfilling my own drama. I am available for God to work because He's always working. Every person I pass, that if I come into work, someone has gotten there early and cleared the snow off the sidewalks, rather than complain about the snow, I find that person. And I thank them. Let them know how appreciated I am. They are faithful. Every cup of coffee, every person I pass is God inviting me. Are you available? You're available, right? But if we're going to be available, then we have to be interruptible. Now that's where it gets hard. Ask yourself, am I interruptible? When I'm doing something, how do I do when interruption comes, right? Because what interruptibility means is that it's acknowledging that God has the final say in our schedule. 
Now let me confess, I'm terrible at this. Interruptible means there's no such thing as my time, it's God's time. So an interruption comes rather than being upset by it. I first question I ask is, is God in this? I've been trying to apply this at the mission because city mission is one big interruption. Like, like that's all it is. And so I'm walking up the drive the other day and there's a guy at the foot of the driveway and he's looking at me and I kind of say to myself, well, if I don't look at him, uh, he won't talk to me. Right? And I said, oh yeah, available. So I go up to him and he goes, he says, um, can you help me? I said, I knew it. And, and, and he was wondering about the shelter. And, and, and he needed the shelter. And so I said, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. We can definitely help you. And I pointed down the driveway. So you go right to that door. You see, it says Welcome Center. And you, you turn in there. And, boy, they'll be there to help you. And I turned away. And it suddenly hit me like, that's not available. Come on. I went back and said, would you like me to walk you there? He said, oh, that would be great. So I, I walk him there and then I hand him over to one of our guys who begins to minister to him. The next day, one of the staff came to me and said, oh, we had a good meeting with so-and-so. They said, do you know he's legally blind? He really can't see. Right? Do you see the inadequacy of the point? Right? Availability was, no, walk with him. Bring him there. If I trust that God is sovereign over time, clearly that's got to be the most important thing to do. Right? And I think that if we are available, then it's not just schedule interruptions, but life interruptions. I'm going to come back to Ken Heckler, because Ken was rooted in this church, and so many of you know him. A year ago, Ken asked to meet with me. We had lunch over at Glenville Clean, and Ken told me that he was not in good health and that he was dying, but he wanted me to do his funeral. So I, so I did what we always do in those anxious situations. I tried to divert it and quickly wanted to talk about medical technology. And there was always hope in that. And Ken just looked at me and said, Mike, the sand is running out of the hourglass. Okay? And in that look, he said, we don't have to fear this, but we have to be about this. We have to... See Christ in this, right? If we become available, then the second characteristic is we find ourselves becoming more aware. Right? Be available, become aware. We start realizing that this is sacred moment, that what before seemed to be ordinary or nothing is actually rich and, and, and pregnant with opportunity. And that awareness begins to, to change us. I spoke at a church about a month and a half ago and I told the story of our clothing rooms. And At the end of the church, after everybody had left, this husband and wife came up to me. And they said, um, our teenage daughter died a couple of years ago and we haven't been able to let go of her clothes. But I think we believe that we should give you these clothes for this clothing room. That's what God's asking us to do. 
So they called me and the day came for the father to bring the clothes down. I became aware that this, this was sacred. This wasn't a closed delivery. This was a sacred, precious moment. I said to my staff, we're going to get thousands of gifts this holiday season. This might be the most important one. And we unloaded the clothes. And hugged the father. Expressed their joy in knowing that her clothes would help other kids. See, that, that didn't diminish the holidays. It made them. It was the brightest moment I had. Got to watch out because so often the opportunity is, is disguised in the ordinary. Right? Or it is disguised in the obstacle. In one of the most amazing quotes, Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, says this. He says, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Because a great door for effective work has opened for me, and there are many who oppose me. Isn't that a remarkable line? Paul is saying, a great door for effective work has opened for me, and there are many who oppose me. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? To me, if there's an an open door for ministry, people are supporting me. You see, Paul understood, though, he was aware of kingdom ministry opportunities that even though there are great opposition, even though doors are closing, even though people are trying to undermine what you're accomplishing, it is often in those circumstances that God does his greatest work. So Paul says, I ain't leaving, I'm staying. Friends, this is the day we live in right now. We live in the great day of opposition and open doors. It's a paradox of the kingdom of God. I have never seen more opposition to what we're called to do, and I have never seen more open doors. We are getting invitations into public schools and public spaces and corporations, right? Opportunities. We're we're starting our ambassadors program in Saratoga in February. We're invited by a local funder says, we'll pay for it if you run ambassadors in Saratoga. So when Universal Preservation Hall opens up, the red coats will be there. But you've got to be willing to stand in the cold. You see, these opportunities are rarely at the teaching level. They're rarely at the leadership level. They're almost always at the foot washing level. <laughs> They're almost always at the level that no one else wants to do it. Right? Are we available enough? Are we aware to know there's opportunities? And in closing, the third one is action. Right? Available, aware, and action. Because a disciple of Jesus Christ has a bias toward action. Let me take you through one more passage of my hero, Ken Heckler. In the last three months of his life, Second week of September, he was facing very serious surgery. The Sunday before, he gave the sermon at the church where he was pastoring. Delivered a sermon. Midweek, he had surgery. Didn't go well. Spent weeks in intensive care. 
was then sent to a nursing facility where he did a christening for his great-granddaughter and a wedding for his grandson. Couldn't get out of a wheelchair. Body shaking. He delivered those services. In his last hours, he gave me a benediction I'll never forget. Great Christian writer Howard Macy says this, The spiritual world cannot be made suburban. It is always frontier. And if we would live in it, we must accept and even rejoice that it remains untamed. Friends, I believe we're facing some great, great challenges in 2020. I believe there is opposition. There are perhaps even threats, but there are open doors. There are open doors for those followers of Jesus who are available, aware, and committed to action. And when we have to deal with the struggles of the frontier, rather than complain about it, let's rejoice in it and embrace it. And say how good that God calls us to pilgrimage, not on a well-trod road, but on new ground where we can build new fruit for his eternal kingdom. Amen.